Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interviewed Jessica Bailey from the Cruelty Free Shop in Sydney, Australia, a speciality retail and online store carrying more than 1,500 vegan products, ranging from food and skincare to fashion, books and accessories. Jessica started the business as an online store in 2001 after going vegan while still working full-time as an IT project manager. Her aim was to provide a one-stop shop where people could buy hard-to-find vegan products without having to do the time-consuming label reading themselves. In 2012, Jessica opened the first physical store in the inner west suburb of Glebe in Sydney, followed two years later by a store in Melbourne. Just a couple of weeks ago, she opened a brand new store in Brisbane, Queensland, and is currently scouting out premises for a branch in Canberra in the Australian Capital Territory. A passionate animal rights advocate, Jessica ran the Cruelty Free Festival for three years as a fundraiser for charity Animal Liberation New South Wales, which now draws crowds of around 5,000 people. She's the founder of Vegan Day Out, an annual weekend event bringing hundreds of people into the areas where the Cruelty Free Shop is located. This festival is a collaboration with neighbouring businesses, allowing them to experience the demand for vegan food and other products by offering special deals and discounts. In this interview, Jessica discusses the benefits and challenges of opening one or more physical stores, the importance of knowing what your customers, not you, want and providing them with it, who to listen to for honest feedback on your products and who to ignore, why she jumps for joy when competitors open similar businesses, a strategy she uses that can quickly get you out of overwhelm when running your business and much more. Here's the interview with Jessica Bailey from the Cruelty Free Shop. Hello, Jessica. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Katrina. (laughs) It's really nice to talk to you because just so that listeners know, we've got international listeners. You know, Jess and I are friends. We've known each other for quite some time now. And uh, I've absolutely loved watching your growth because it's been very inspiring um, and really looking forward to digging in a little bit to to find out how you've gone about that. So tell us, first of all, uh, this is the question I ask everybody to begin with, why? Uh, you know, what's what are your drivers? What are your reasons? What's your purpose for running your business? Sure. To answer that, I think I need to give a little bit of background. Um, I started the business, the Cruelty Free Shop, in 2001, so 15 years ago, and I'd just become vegan. I was a very new vegan and very passionate, as you are when you first become vegan. Um, and I went around telling everyone I'd become vegan. And, and so many people said to me, oh, yeah, I used to be vegetarian or vegan, but it was just too hard. So I decided that I wanted to um, create uh, a place where people could come and it would be easy to be vegan um, so that we could overcome that objection and help people to become vegan and 
import, equally importantly, to stay vegan. And so my idea was to create a shop where people could find all the things that they missed or all those um, foodstuffs and products that they um, were missing now since they'd become vegan uh, and uh, remove that objection so that they stayed vegan forever. Love it. That's so mm. good. That's, that's something that's so important. And sometimes activists don't necessarily get that. They sort of see business as kind of over there and activism over here. But it is, you're right, it's so important to make it easy, well, not only for the vegans, I guess that was the case in the past, but also now for the non-vegan, you know, for people who are just going vegan um, to, to make it easy, like you say. So that's a fantastic why and a purpose. I love that. So who are your main clientele now and approximately what percentage of your customers are vegan because I know when I interviewed you for my book it, you know you said it was actually kind of quite different in the in the beginning you were sort of servicing more of the vegan community mm. whereas as you've gone along um, that that sort of changed so just talk a little bit about that mm. and your type of people that are buying from you. Sure um, I talk to a lot of people in the shop and I always ask them whether they're vegan or vegetarian or, <laughs> or veg curious just because I'm interested in what their backgrounds are and where they're coming from and also because that helps with the information we give them I mean if someone says to me, oh, I'm thinking about becoming veg vegetarian or I'm thinking of reducing my meat consumption, then I'll whip out a book of recipes for them or some literature to help them um, along that path. So I, I would estimate that about 60% of our customers are actual vegans now. Um, the remaining 40% are people largely who are looking to decrease their meat and dairy consumption for a variety of reasons. Often it's um, for environmental reasons or health reasons or more and more we're seeing people who are uh, wanting to reduce their meat consumption for ethical reasons, which is fantastic. Um, and, and, you know, whichever those of those three reasons that appeals to a person, that's fantastic. The end result's the same. Um, we, we have a few customers who are allergy customers um, because obviously there's there's no dairy in any of the products we sell, so that's an area that um, you know is a significant part of our business. But but the the largest amount of non vegans are people who are just veg curious or wanting to reduce their impact on the environment and animals. Fantastic. And it's good to see that that's, that's grown now and that there are so many people that are, like you say, veg curious, mm, that's a nice little term, mm. um, that are, yeah, for whatever reasons, um, and to be able to, yeah, to get the kind of products that are still as tasty and delicious and naughty and nice um, as, you know, an animal-based um, counterparts yeah, and that, is, that, is fantastic. Yeah, that's a big part of what we do is people will come, out, come around and say, well, I'm not really sure what I should eat. So we always make sure that we have recipes for them or suggestions and, um, and, and, you know, just try and make that process as easy as possible for them. Fantastic. So you're actually a public information service as well as a retail well, I store. think it's, a, it's <laughs> just another type of activism, really. You know, there's. I think that everyone should um, use their particular skills. I mean, your skills are with the media and so you do that sort of activism. My skills are with running a business and so I use those skills for my particular form of activism. And, and you know, there's all – I think the best thing people can do is – work out what their skill set is. Um, you know, we don't all have to be at protests. We don't all have to be, you know, going undercover and that sort of thing. I think we should all take our skills and use them. And there's so many different forms of activism that are all equally important. 
Absolutely. I so agree with you. And I think we'd each do different things at different times in our lives. Mm, so, you know, sometimes true. we might go on a march or, you know, be chased by riot yes. police and what have you. And, <laughs> and other times, yeah, you say, you know, we're, we're running our business and we're, we're, we're doing these other things. One of the things I actually love about the, the shop, with like the physical shop that you've got, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, is that you also um, use your windows um, to do full on activism. Like, you know, you have fantastic, you know, anti-dairy mm. campaigns, anti-egg campaigns. Um can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's interesting. And have you had any backlash around that <laughs> at all? Because it's it, quite confrontational, some of them, um, uh, which is wonderful. I always love going past and, and seeing that because it really is activism in action. So just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we started out, our window displays were like any other shop and you're displaying our products in, in some sort of pretty fashion. Um, and then I realised that we were having thousands of people walk past our shops every day who might maybe glance in and go, well, that's a pretty bag or that's an interesting thing um, and keep walking uh, and so I thought you know we want to grab all these people and give them a message and have them give them something to think about and so we started creating uh, theme windows I think the first one we did was a Mother's Day window where we talked about um, all mothers deserve respect and featured mothers and calves um, and a few other factory farmed animals um, and the amount of people we saw walking past doing a double take stopping reading and walking on uh, made us realize that it was quite an effective way to get a message through to people. So we sort of every, we change our window display about every month and probably every second one we do has some sort of animal rights message. The only time we've ever had trouble is uh, we did a um, anti-Melbourne Cup uh, window and Melbourne Cup's a, a huge horse race in Australia. It sort of stops the country for a day and we had an anti-horse racing uh, message in the window at that time and that copped a little bit of backlash because you know people people think horse racing is you know part of their lives that we shouldn't criticize and we featured the wastage involved in the industry and talked about how many horses are killed um, and that sort of thing and people were most unhappy about that so that's interesting. I remember that. And it was such a good game. And I was like, wow. So when you say when people, well, so were they literally like coming in and saying, oh, you know, this is wrong or whatever? Like, how did it sort of come about that they, you knew that they were unhappy? We actually had someone go and complain to the local chamber of commerce. Oh, who really? then sent a rep down to ask us to please take one of the posters down. Wow. Which was, I must say, it was probably a little too graphic. Shop window. <laughs> but, you know, by the time we were told to take it down, I think, you know, thousands of people have seen this, had seen it, and hopefully some of them have fantastic. thought about it. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. It's fantastic. So let's go back a little bit. Let's talk about so you as you mentioned, you launched the cruelty free shop as an online business about 15 years ago and you ran it online for many years. Tell us about some what were some of your key challenges back then when you were first starting up the business? When I first started the business, there wasn't a huge amount of vegan um, products in Australia. So the biggest challenge was sourcing products. Um, I had to look overseas for that and had to end up bringing quite a lot of stuff in from overseas. The other thing was that I'd find that some manufacturers – traditional manufacturers would have one vegan product out of a range of 150 products. And so instead of being able to have 20 suppliers and get all our stuff from them, we we ended up having to have 100 suppliers and getting one product from each, which wow. is a challenge because for each of those, there's um, an admin um, uh, cost involved in dealing with that. So, so that was really hard sourcing the products, but I must say that's gotten significantly easier over the years as more and more manufacturers are producing vegan products. And the amount of stuff available now is probably got hundreds 
of times what was available when I first started. I guess the other difficulty was because people weren't very familiar with veganism. It was quite challenging to try and figure out what was vegan and what wasn't. It involved a huge amount of label reading and deciphering codes, <laughs> you know, um, that was very, very time consuming. And also trying to figure out, you know, people would say, well, this is a cruelty-free product, but there was nothing to back that up. Um, and so you couldn't just take people's word for it. You had to really do a lot of research. So that was very time consuming. That was probably the biggest challenge, I think. Yeah, I can relate to that. When um, when Tracy, my partner, and I came over to Australia, we opened um, a hair and beauty salon in 2001, actually, mm. when we um, first came here. And I had the same thing because my job was to literally make sure that, you know, all the products that we used were vegan. Yeah. And I remember having to wait till the evening sometime to ring um, at the, the company in France to actually, and I ended up having to speak to someone quite high up the chain mm. because they were just like, oh, we're not sure. And like you say, it is really like labor um, intensive. And I think that's important important for people or for customers to to realize as well is that you do all that hard work for them um which is a real benefit like I know whenever I come into you know to to the cruelty free shop you know I come in usually once a month I know I can grab anything off the shelf and know that it's vegan now sure I might want to check you know well okay has it got you know how much what else has it mm. got in it kind of things maybe from a health thing or what have you but I know that I can dash in and I can literally you know put anything in my basket and know that it's vegan so I guess that's one of the things it's, it's a challenge for an ethical business, but I guess it can also be a selling point as long as people realize that and know that and trust you to to do that label reading and sourcing for them. Yes, and they have to understand, you know, that that is a benefit, you know, and that things will be a little bit more expensive because of that, because you do spend that extra time. So something you yeah, need to communicate. Right. Exactly, exactly. It's one of those things about, you know, vegan or certain vegan products are, are more expensive because they're ethical, um, you know, because of all those those various reasons. So I think, yeah, that's a, that's a good point to actually make sure that you share that with your customers so that they're kind of, oh, okay, they get mm. it. So how, as you've grown then, um, how have the challenges changed over the years? Well, I guess two ways. One is that there's more and more products available now and that manufacturers are seeing that there actually is a market for vegan and vegetarian products. Uh, and the second uh, step to that is that manufacturers actually know what vegan means now. So if you ask if a, if a product is vegan, they don't say, what? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> you know? So you actually can get an answer from them, which saves a lot of time. <laughs> For sure, for sure. So you mentioned that the, the the challenges were so that there are now more and more vegan products. So is that when you say that's a challenge, how is that a challenge for you, for you? Oh, I'm sorry. That's not a challenge. That's one of the things that has gotten that's easier. Oh, got an easier. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah, Fantastic. So <laughs> excellent. Excellent. I know I was thinking, oh, that's, that sounds sorry. like a, a pro. <laughs> no, that's all right. <laughs> so as you've grown... <laughs> <laughs> as you've grown as a business, um, what have what have been some of because you've talked about some of the challenges in the beginning. So what how have those challenges changed as you've grown? As the business has grown? Yeah. Yeah. Um I guess that um it, it's I, I feel like I'm repeating myself a little bit, sorry, um, if I'm not understanding the question. The challenges have 
it's become much, much easier to run the business because I can get much more accurate information about products and I don't have to look as hard for products. Um, as we've gotten bigger and had more of a market presence, suppliers come looking for us. So I'll get emails from producers every week saying, would you like to stock our, stock our product? Whereas in the past, I had to be chasing them and searching and spending a lot of time on the internet trying to find these things, whereas now they tend to come to us, which is lovely put my feet up and <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess I was just asking like you know because now that you've started to grow whether there are different kinds of challenges that have that have come around but um, maybe it's not that case it's just the case that things have maybe got a little bit easier which is pretty awesome yeah. <laughs> so you <laughs> so let's talk about the physical store because you opened the first now when did you open the first physical store in Sydney what year was that uh, that was four years ago. Four years ago, right. So you opened the first physical store in Sydney, then I think it was two years later you opened Melbourne, and now very recently, literally like a couple of weeks or so ago, you opened a store in Brisbane, and you're also going to be opening one in Canberra. So that's some fast growth in quite a short space of time. So let's talk about what are some of the challenges involved in going from being an online store only to a physical one and then to more physical stores? It's it's a completely different business running a retail shop to an online store. It was um, it was almost like starting afresh. Um, I had to, I had no retail experience, so I was sort of inventing it as I went along. Um, I had to think about things like how does one display a product? How do you do a window display? How do you do a point of sale system? So the whole process of opening a new shop was completely new to me. And I thought, you know, I thought I knew what I was doing with my business, but I sort of re suddenly realized that I had to start afresh almost, um, which was kind of fun. You know, it was it was interesting. It was <laughs> a big learning process, but I had to, you know, learn out find out how to hire staff and what sort of laws there are. And, you know, there was there was a huge amount of new challenges that came with opening a shop. Um, there's there's much higher overheads. The rents are really high with retail. And, um, you know, you don't have the flexibility. When I ran the online store, it doesn't matter if you, you know, go into work at midday and finish at midnight, whereas with a shop you must be there at certain times and you've got to be reliable and, it was just a whole new ball game for me, which I really enjoyed, actually. Obviously, because you've opened so many. <laughs> so tell us about then, why did you decide to open a series of physical stores in different states of Australia in a relatively short space of time? Because as you mentioned, the overheads were much higher than the online store. So what are some of the benefits to having physical locations? The the single biggest benefit is being able to reach more people um, like we were talking about earlier with the window displays just having that visibility um, from from a, an activism perspective it allows us to reach so many more people we get people wandering all the time just you know people just browsing but it gives you a chance to talk to people who you never would have been able to engage with before um, with an online store people came and found us um, I guess they were already sort of um, converted's not the right word, but, you know, already interested. Whereas this, with the um, physical shops, we get to engage with a whole new crowd of people who we never would have been able to before, which is fantastic. It also makes it easier for, you know, the existing vegans to find us. Um, I think it's much much nicer for people to be able to come in and look at things and touch them and, and have that personal touch and talk to a, a real person than just get on a computer 
Absolutely. And I think that's interesting to point out that you've been very smart in choosing the locations for your physical stores in that they have been on the high street. They're not tucked away in some little back corner where you've not got, you know, the, the passing trade foot traffic coming through. You've been very strategic, it seems, by about choosing those high foot traffic Yeah, that was um, really areas. important to us because I, I sort of felt like if we, we were off the high street in the, in the, you know, the suburbs or hidden away, we'd just get our, we'd just get the vegans coming to us. And don't get me wrong, I love the vegan. They're my favorite people. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, that's only part of our business. We want to reach the people who are curious and who, you know, are ready to make some changes in their lives. And unless we're somewhere accessible and visible to them, then we can't reach those people. Exactly, exactly. So it, in the cruelty free shop, you both with the online and the physical stores, you stock a huge amount of other people's brands. Mm. So talk a little bit, how do you, as a retailer, how do you decide what to stock? What do you look for? Okay. Um, I've got a fairly clear idea of the sort of products I want to stock in the shop, and it is vegan versions of typically non-vegan products. Um, I'm not a health food shop. I'm not a supermarket. Um, I, we have a very clear definition of what we stock and we're certainly not healthy, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> it's funny, actually, over the years I've, I've introduced some health food shops to the, the shop, uh, sorry, health food products to the shop, you know, for convenience and they just don't sell. You know, chocolate really? is our biggest seller by far. <laughs> so if someone comes to me with a new product and it's something that you can get anywhere else and it's, you know, it's vegan by default, I probably won't stock it. Um, it needs to be a vegan version, like something like, you know, vegan fish sauce or vegan cheese and Vegan alternatives is what we specialize in. And I think that if we broadened that and just stocked lentils or tofu or whatever, that would sort of um, water down what we're doing and make us just an ordinary shop and, and we wouldn't stand out the way we do. Got it. Yeah. And you do, I can certainly vouch that you do and absolutely like, you know, you can go in there and get all kinds of delights that you don't even know, you know, we're in existence. <laughs> and I think that that's really important because like you say, even like the vegans, um, you know, that makes them happy, obviously makes us happy. Um, but also, yeah, for people who are curious, they can kind of go, oh, so if I go vegan, I can actually have this chocolate or I can have this donut or this yeah. cream puff and this, you know, all my favorite, I don't have to give up or sacrifice exactly. my favorite. And vegans, you know, are doing such an amazing thing. I mean, being a vegan is such a fantastic thing to do that you shouldn't have to do without anything, you know? Exactly, exactly. If you want to do the health, you think that's great. Mm. But, you know, it's good to be able to have those treats um, when you want them and to have somewhere to, to get those. Yeah, it shouldn't be a so sacrifice. Exactly, exactly. That's what I always say to people. Don't think about what you're giving up, thinking about what you're getting, um, which is fantastic. So what advice, well, so when we're talking about this brand, you mentioned that if you can get it anywhere else, you wouldn't ordinarily stock it. So does that mean, for example, so say a, a vegan brand um, comes to you and you're like, yep, great, and you stock it. What if they then got interest from, say, one of the major supermarkets, say here in Australia, Coles or, or what have you, then would that mean once they become available in like more mainstream stores that you wouldn't stock stock their product is that right no we definitely still stock it I mean I think I love seeing vegan products in supermarkets I think it's wonderful and the, the more available these products are the better um, but if it's a specifically vegan product we'll always stock it because I don't want people to have to run around and go to three different shops to do their shopping I'd like them to be able to think of us as a one-stop shop uh, and they can come and get all their vegan goodies in the one place regardless of whether you can get it elsewhere or not 
Right. So when you said if it's somewhere else, you wouldn't stock it, it's, that would be more like for mainstream manufacturers that happen yeah. to have a vegan product? No, I more than... mean, um, by that, I, I sort of mean products that aren't specifically vegan, you know, like lentils, for example. Oh, you know, I see. You, gotcha. Okay. You are vegan anyway, and you can get them anywhere. So I wouldn't stock them. But say it was some particular type of vegan cheese, I would definitely stock that regardless of where else you get it. Ah, got it. Okay, good. Now that makes sense. So what advice can you give then to vegan brands who want to get your stuff on your shelves? Um, Come and see me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that we do get approached by a lot of um, new producers coming up. And I think that it's kind of difficult in that you sometimes have to give constructive feedback. Um, and I know that if someone's been developing a product themselves and they're very invested in it, they can sometimes not take that feedback terribly well. But it's important to listen to that sort of feedback from someone who has been in retail a while because, you know, we're probably more forgiving than most um, shops are going to be. Um, exactly. Things yeah. like, you know, things like getting your packaging right, getting barcodes right. Um, you know, a lot of producers who come and see me have been selling at markets, which is a great way to test out your products. But you've got to remember that at markets, you're there talking to the consumer, selling your product one-on-one. Whereas when a product comes into our shop, it's sitting in a fridge with 40 other similar products. So, <laughs> yeah. and and we don't have enough staff to be able to sit there and, and talk as passionately about your product as you do. Um, so your product needs to sell itself on the shelf. So packaging is so important. It needs to stand out. It needs to look good. Um, that's probably the most important thing. <laughs> That's really good advice. So when you're dealing with people, like you say, you know, maybe they're in the markets or they're maybe doing stuff from their home kitchen, like, do you look for a certain amount of experience? Or, um, really? Or- it, it comes down to the product. I mean, it, I mean a, someone could have no experience but have a fabulous product and really good packaging. So it's really on a case-by-case basis. And I suppose you've got to know that they can continue to deliver it because I suppose if you as a retailer have it on your shelves Mm. and customers like it, I guess you've got to know that that company or that business can continue to supply it. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, But I guess the the fact that we would stock it hopefully will mean that they can continue um, producing it because, you know, they're getting business. So Exactly, yeah, although they can keep up with the demand. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Now, that's great. That's really good advice. Thank you. Um, So in terms of staff, we touched on this a little bit earlier. So how many employees um, approximately do you have, Jess? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's around 20 now. Wow, is it 20? Yeah. Oh my gosh, because you, you have a lot of part-time people we in. We do. We're actually student. moving more towards full-timers now. Um, we have to have part-timers for the weekend, but we're trying to get more full-timers. So there's sort of a, a more consistent face um, and more reliable face to the business. But, yes, we do have quite a few uni students who work on the weekend and that sort of thing, but around 20, oh. I think. And you, like, how do you go about finding and keeping, you know, the experience motivated? Because you have some great staff, you know, whenever I go in, whether they're new ones or some of the old faces, like, they all seem really passionate, like they enjoy their work. Do you know what I mean? It's not like going into some regular stores where people are just there for the paycheck. Mm -hmm. So do they come to you or how does it sort of work? How do you go about, you know, getting those stuff that you can trust? with? Well, like, for example, you had the vegan day out event um, recently where, you know, you get everybody coming into the the areas where your, your shop is and you get other 
other businesses offering vegan products, which is a great initiative. And I noticed like um, when I went in on Saturday last week and, you know, you weren't there, your staff were there and they were running it all and it was great. So um, how do you go about getting that kind of um, motivated and experienced staff? It's actually really easy because like you said, it's not like working for a normal shop. It's it's working for a shop that you're sort of passionate about. How do we find the staff? Um, it's a mixture. Some of them are customers that we've got to know over the years. Um, a couple of them we've actually approached and said, would you like to come work here? We think you'd be a really good fit. Um, it comes down to personality. I think anybody can work a cash register that's and stock a shelf. Um, it comes down to personality, whether they'll fit in with the existing team, um, they're all just lovely, lovely people, uh, and they're all really passionate about um, veganism uh, and and excited about working there. So occasionally we'll advertise, um, and when we do, it's it's overwhelming. We get so many applications, and it's really it's quite horrible because I hate saying no to people. And <laughs> lovely people apply, but um, you know, we can only hire one or two at the time. So we're Fantastic. we're sort of spoiled for choice because we have a lot of people want to work for us. It's really nice, and we have wow. and our t- we have a really tight team. Everyone gets on really well, and we're all really good friends. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Now, there's been, as you mentioned, when you first started out there, you were probably the first or certainly one of the first um, vegan online stores. Um, Now there's a bit more competition nowadays. So there's more online stores, there maybe even some, a couple of physical stores, um, vegan stores. So how do you go about nowadays standing out both within and outside of the vegan business arena and maintaining customers? Well, first of all, I don't think of them as competition. I think the more vegan businesses, the better and every time a new vegan business business opens I'm like yay that's really exciting (laughs) that means there's more vegans and really the vegan market is growing so rapidly it was one of the top 10 growth uh, retail sectors in the US last year and and Australians following Australia is following that sort of lead Um, so there's room for lots more people in the marketplace now um so I guess how do we differentiate ourselves? I, I think we have a fairly good profile. Um, we have fairly good reach because, you know, as you said, we're now in, in several different locations. Um, we do, I believe, have the widest range of vegan products. Um, and I also am, am very active in finding new products. So I like to always think that we're the first ones with a new with an exciting new product. So I spend a lot of time uh, looking for new products to bring in and um, and always try to be the first to have them. So I guess that's Fantastic. how we try and stand yeah. out a bit. Excellent. Well, I'm on your newsletter list and I'm always delighted when you, you know, you go, right, we've got this in stock now. And it's like, wow. So that's mm-hmm. fantastic. There's, there's so many more <laughs> vegan products coming out now. I don't know how we're going to fit them all. <laughs> I it's a very good problem to have. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Who would have thought it? Know, Who would have thought it? <laughs> and I love that you've said that about, you know, you don't think of them as competition. You're really coming from that place of abundance rather than scarcity, which is great. And that, you know, in, in a sense, we're all collaborators mm. in in the, the bigger vision. Yeah, so that, that's fantastic. The same goal. And, and most people in vegan business are not in it for the money or the glory or, or whatever. They're in it to make a difference. Um, and that's really nice because that means we do all work together. We don't, you know, there's no nastiness or competition. 
Exactly, exactly. So what have been some of the marketing strategies that you've used that have been successful in growing the cruelty-free shop? I know we mentioned the vegan day out. So maybe talk a little bit about that and some of the other strategies that you've used to grow your business. Sure. Well, I guess we've used traditional strategies like social media and Google ads and um, advertising in magazines and uh, sort of not industry magazines, like animal rights magazines and that sort of thing. Um, We donate quite a lot of uh, raffle prizes to various um, animal sanctuaries and animal rights groups for fundraising. And um, while the reason we do it is to help them out, that does actually help raise our profile also. So it's a bit of a win-win. We it's a little bit tricky knowing how to market because vegans and vegan curious people come from all different walks of life and all different areas and all different socioeconomic groups. So you can't say, well, I'm going to ab- advertise in this magazine or this newspaper and I'll reach my whole market. That's impossible. Um, so you really have to be quite active um, advertising Google is fantastic for that sort of thing because if someone shows some interest, you can make sure your ad pops up. Um, And then, as you mentioned, we've created events and um, probably the biggest event we've created is the Vegan Day Out. And that was – that was it started out, first of all, as a a marketing idea Um, and then we realised that we could actually make a difference with it. What we did was um, create an event where – all the we approached all the local businesses and asked them all to offer some sort of special on on a vegan dish or a drink or whatever for a weekend and we created a, a walking map so all the people can come pick up the map and go around and get all these special offers and what happened as a result is a lot of the local restaurants and cafes who hadn't really acknowledged the vegan market started having seen that there was a market because so many people turned up for the vegan day out, uh, that they actually started adding vegan dishes permanently to their menu. So we sort of managed to make a little bit of a difference there. Which Fantastic. Um, but yeah, that, that the whole the event generates so much buzz on social media that it's a fantastic marketing event for us as well. Fantastic. And as well, you've been, you even actually as well, I believe, created the first cruelty-free festival um, in Sydney as well. Yeah, that was, um, that wasn't a marketing thing though. That was just, I I just decided that um, I had this, this idea that, that nobody wants to support cruelty. It's just that they don't realize they are, or they don't know how to avoid it. And so I approached Animal Liberation and pitched the idea to them that we run an event, a uh, cruelty-free festival where people could come along in a fun sort of festive atmosphere with their families and find out what they could do to um, improve the lot of animals, whether that be, you know, adopting a sheltered dog or changing a brand of shampoo to one that wasn't tested on animals or or even scarily trying vegan food for the first time. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was um, – that was oh gosh, that was 11 years ago, I think that that started. And I ran it uh, for the first three years and then passed it over to someone else. And and it's going strong, which is great to see. It, it is. And I know you're, you're usually there at all the, the expos and the festivals um, to keep your brand top of mind, I guess. Yeah, we're coming into festival season now. We've got Adelaide, we are. Melbourne, <laughs> Sydney all lined up. Very exciting. It is, it is. So you talked about, you know, having these products that are the cruelty-free and you called your your business the cruelty-free shop. Um, let's talk a little bit about the word vegan, the use mm. of the word vegan. Um, 
in your marketing materials on your website and the prominence of the word. We've got the two schools of thought now. One, it's limiting. It's still a bit scary. And two, you know, not much more people are getting used to the word and it's kind of cool and trendy. So what are your thoughts on this? And, you know, say a bit about your choice of how you use the word in your marketing and why. Sure. My thoughts on this has changed, has evolved over time. When I first started out, I thought that the word was a bit scary and it might put people off. Um, And so that's why it was called the cruelty-free shop, not the vegan shop. But over the years, I've come to realize that unless we use the word vegan a lot, it's always going to be scary. Um, And and now my idea is to use it as much as possible because it demystifies it and makes it mainstream. And the more mainstream it is, the more acceptable it is, the more likely people are to give it a go and not be scared off and not think of it as being um, something freakish or um, unusual or whatever. So I've in the last few years subtitled our um, logo with Australia's Vegan Supermarket um, and, and used the word vegan as much as humanly possible. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. fantastic it's interesting how people have changed I interviewed um, Ben As- uh, Asamani who runs um, 222 um, veggie vegan restaurant in London and it's interesting he said he's just done a refurb I think maybe a few months ago and instead of it saying you know vegetarian and vegan cuisine he's just got vegan up there so it's like 222 vegan Yay. cuisine and so it's interesting seeing that that change um, and Juliana Haver as well who's the plant-based dietitian really you know huge following in LA and she said again only very recently the past couple of years she started to actually use the word vegan as well so it's exciting like you say we've got to kind of get the word vegan out of the closet basically and start using it (laughs) (laughs) fantastic now you've been featured a bit in the media um, which is is fantastic how did you go about getting the media coverage Jess? Um, Every time we do anything Uh, open a new shop or run an event or whatever, we always um, put together a media release and send that out to all and sundry. And we've been doing that since we very first started. Um, It was quite a struggle to get media for the first um, five years or so. But recently, I don't know if it's that we've honed our media releases and they're actually written better or more appealing or whether the uh, media's attitude has changed or not, but we um, just seem to getting a lot, be getting a lot of callbacks now. It's great, fantastic, and I guess as well, it's because you're you've really like as you say, you've really become renowned as a brand, um, and your profile's there, so you're actually on the media's radar, mm, which is true. fantastic. Yeah, yeah that that's great. Too, yeah. That's great. So let's talk a little bit about advice because I know I think you've said to me once when I was in the shop, you sometimes get people ringing you up and saying, oh, I want to run a vegan business. Can you give me some tips? And I know you very kindly point them to my book, which is sold in your <laughs> online store and in your other stores, which is great. But how about, can you give us a little bit of um, some tips on what, in your opinion, say, are the key things that they need to take into account? You know, if they've already got a job, um, but they, they really want to start their own business, um, what should they do before making that jump? from employment to self-employed? I was very cautious when I started my business and I started it very, very small and ran it as a hobby while I was still working full-time for quite a long time, Um, which I think in hindsight it probably was a bit long. I probably should have leapt into it a bit sooner. But that said, I think it is quite important to start out small to test out your idea to start with. Um, 
you know, do some market stalls, uh, test out the idea and, and, and markets are great for that sort of thing because you get instant feedback from people and you can actually gauge their reactions. And it's really important at that point not to take it personally but actually take that all as constructive. Um, I guess my advice around that would be don't ask your friends and family um, for their opinion because they love you and they're going to say whatever you do is good. Um, <laughs> you <laughs> That's need a good to, point. You need to get out there and ask strangers and get honest feedback from people who, you know, <laughs> who don't who don't want to <laughs> save your feelings. <laughs> That's really important because I think quite a few people get quite a rude shock because they're all, you know, the parents say, oh, you're doing such a great thing and they get out there in the real world and, and people don't like their product and they can't understand why. So I think take your concept and um, put it out there and, and ask for feedback from people. Try and get some really honest feedback about it. Excellent. Um, no, that's really good advice, actually. Yeah. Very good. Now, you mentioned that you um, you were doing cruelty-free shop um, online um, while you were working full-time. So what were you doing? What, what work have you done and what skills from your previous jobs and careers have been useful in running the cruelty-free shop? Sure. I was um, a project manager in the IT industry, so I managed rollouts of new technology um, through large national companies. Um <laughs> Do you know, I didn't know that. Didn't I've you? known you for 15 years now. I sort of was on contract with some of the larger telcos rolling out technology, hmm. and it, which is interesting because I don't really know a lot about technology, but I was pretty good at um, making things happen. And I think that's, that's uh, my skill is um, managing projects. And I've taken that, you know, now I manage the opening of a shop, of a shop or I um, – you know, I, I like writing lists and and working out what needs to be done when and everything. So I suppose it's kind of the same. I mean, I think when you do project management, whatever your project is, you use the same principles. Oh, absolutely. So are you a super organized person? You said mm -hmm. you mentioned lists. Yeah. So do you believe in organization and systems? I it's not just I believe in them. I need them. You know, if uh, if I start feeling at all stressed or um, unhappy about anything, the first thing I do is write a list and that makes it all right. <laughs> I love <laughs> that. <laughs> my list, I know I'm in control and, you know, I'll go through and work out what needs to be done at what time and, yeah, and that that that's how I manage. That's a really so. good tip actually for getting out of overwhelm to just kind of because sometimes, yeah, if everything's kind of floating around in your head mm -hmm. and it's kind of it feels like it's almost eating you up, whereas, yeah, when you get it out there and you put it in an organised list and say, okay, I'll do this then and that then, it, it can help to calm you down and, and uh, yeah. And it makes it all, you know, break things down into manageable chunks. Um, if you're looking at, in, of, at um, putting together an event, say the vegan day out, and you think about what has to be done, it's massive and this. <laughs> and it's overwhelming but if you just break it down into manageable chunks and just do one chunk at a time then it becomes manageable lovely that's wonderful advice let's talk a bit about funding the business obviously every business even an online one you know has some kind of overheads um and obviously you know you've grown um, quite exponentially in the past um four years so can you talk a little bit about um some of the funding methods as much as you're comfortable sharing of course some of the funding methods you use to get started and to grow and what the pros and cons of some of those are. So I think I mentioned earlier that I started very small and I started with an investment of $1,000, which is nothing. Um, and it, that was sort of 
the business was self-funding for the first few years and and that probably was a mistake because that meant that the growth was very small because it couldn't afford to be any bigger um so i uh, when i got to the point of opening um actual shop fronts there was a necessity for a fairly large investment because opening a shop is quite expensive uh, and that at that point I did have to seek um, an investor uh, and and at each step each time we've grown uh, there's been another amount of investment that's had to be put in to the business uh, so that was I found that really difficult to do because I don't like the idea of being in debt but um and it, you have to, if you're going to grow, you have to have cash. It's just, it's just a fact of life, I'm afraid. So I've gotten used to that now. And <laughs> now, why did you decide to go with an investor, say, versus a loan, for example? Um, I guess my situation was a little bit different because the investor is my partner, so um, that sort of made it easier. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Okay. <laughs> so I'd, rather, I'd rather be borrowing money from him than from a bank. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. So let's talk final set of questions then, a couple of questions or so. It's around mindset. So we talked a little about the organisation and the systems, but also like, you know, running a business, to go from being employed to running a business, you know, it's a lot of people say it's one of the fastest forms of personal development because it really forces you out of your comfort zone. Like you mentioned, you know, you you'd had to kind of start from scratch almost running a retail store and learn all these new things which is exciting but also can it can be a bit stressful as well what are some of the personal qualities um do you think are essential um for someone to stay the course and run a successful ethical business in the long term i think you have to be really committed to what you're doing um i think you have to be passionate about what you're doing because if you're not you're not going to have the drive to follow through um running starting your own business and running it is hard work and you do end up working way more hours than you would if you're working for someone else but if you're doing something you're passionate about it doesn't matter because you love it it's fun you know I don't mind sitting down on a Saturday and working because I love what I do Um, so I think you have to have passion for what you're doing Um, you have to be very focused uh, on your goals um and and be very clear on what those goals are, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really good advice, actually. I can certainly relate to that. It makes a whole difference when, yeah, like, you know, you're just doing a job or you're doing something just for the paycheck, but your heart's not really in mm-hmm. it. It can be exhausting, whereas you can, even though you're working those, like you say, extra long hours, and I'm glad you addressed that because a lot of people think, oh, yeah, I'm going to run my own business because then I can have my own hours and blah, blah, I'll be working <laughs> less. And so I like that you've addressed that. But then, like you say, when you love it, you know, it, it gives you that kind of extra energy. I mean, sometimes, yeah, it can be absolutely, you know, time there's certain times you've got deadlines and projects it can be exhausting but it's also quite exhilarating I know I mean sometimes I can be up till like the other earlier this week I was up till three in the morning doing something um but you know I was kind of I was in the zone I was like yeah this is you you know because it's it's, you don't resent that time (laughs) exactly yes that's a really good point exactly exactly so do you do anything like I don't know yoga or meditation or anything to kind of I don't know ensure that you've got this strong emotional well-being as a business owner, um, I I do ride my bike to work and back, um, and I think that that having that is really important. I mean, it's kind of really good thinking time, but it's also I don't know, it just clears your mind time. Um, I think getting some exercise is really really important. Some days I get, like you were saying before, in the zone, and I'll sit down at my computer at eight 
in the morning and, <laughs> and get up at six o'clock at night and go, hell, I haven't moved today. Yes. <laughs> you know, stuck in that one position all day and you don't even notice the time going by because you're caught up in what you're doing um so so having to get up and get on my bike and ride into the office is fantastic it breaks that up and it you know makes me upright again <laughs> no tracy my partner ensures that i go to the gym twice a week she's like go on off you go and sometimes she'll have to sort of prize me off and i'll be like okay but when i go that i'm really glad that i have and i do a bit of yoga in the gym and you're, you're right it does make that 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 difference so that's that's very good and we've got to keep our our health going as much as we can so that we can you know do our bit and continue to do what we're doing so um exactly so final question then what's your long-term vision for the cruelty-free shopping yourself so you've had this amazing growth you're now about to i think go into your your fourth physical store plus the online one what's the long-term game world domination (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> of course um no well nothing big then <laughs> um i'd like to i'd like to see at least one cruelty free shop in every state in australia and i think um once that's done then i think there's space for multiple in each location um so i'd like to see the amount of shops keep growing and i'd like to see them get bigger i mean we're fairly boutique at the moment um they're smallish shops even though we cram you know a lot of stock into them um i'd like to see us get much bigger shops and be sort of more like the the whole foods in the states type model where you have these vast places that you go into full of vegan products um so yeah more Shops and big shops. Um, I guess the the, the uh, goal. The, um, sorry, you just broke up there, Jess. Oh, sorry? just say that bit again. No, that's where all right. was where was I? You said more and bigger shops. More and bigger shops. Um, yes, and then I guess that the the absolute end goal is to not be needed anymore. You know, um, when vegan products become so widespread that the supermarkets are stocking huge ranges of them and we're not needed anymore then I guess we've kind of won <laughs> absolutely so I know that's the end goal isn't it which yeah. is pretty fantastic because most businesses wouldn't say that they'll be like right I want to start a business because you know I want to make this amount of money and blah 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 and we're kind of like yeah we're going to start this business but you know we basically want to you know do something good for animals people and planet and then we want to make ourselves redundant yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly and that will be a good world when we're redundant it exactly. be a good world to live in that's right absolutely that's a wonderful note to end on thank you so much Jess for chatting with me today as I say I've loved watching your growth I love going and shopping in your stores and I'm really delighted to to see how you're expanding and thank you very much for sharing so much really useful um, information today lovely to chat with you so that was Jessica Bailey from the cruelty free shop you can find out more at cruelty-free-shop.com.au. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and then going to episode 39. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Las Vegas is about to get its first vegan drive through eatery, reports the Las Vegas Review Journal. Kenny Chai, who also owns vegan-run Veggie House in Chinatown, will offer vegan versions of popcorn chicken, fish tacos, chicken wrap, beef sandwich, fried zucchini, salads, three kinds of fries and vegan milkshakes made with almond milk at the new restaurant Veggie Way. 
The menu's centrepiece is Chai's vegan burger, which took him two years to create. It's inspired by the In-N-Out burger, and in fact Chai hopes his eatery will become the vegan version of the fast food chain. His burger patty has 10 ingredients, including soy, cabbage, vegan eggs, starch and rice. Now, what's particularly exciting is that when Chai opened Veggie House in 2012, he made it vegetarian, but after more and more customers demanded vegan dishes, he turned the eatery completely plant-based, and Veggie Way is also vegan. Isn't it great that more and more diners are ditching not only meat, but also dairy and eggs? Fantastic. What does an entrepreneur do when they can't find a product that they want? They create their own, of course. (laughs) This is what millennial entrepreneur Selmira Amadi from Mozambique did. After arriving in the UK to study international business in 2010, Amadi found her skin didn't do well in the British climate and became very dehydrated. She searched everywhere for suitable products for her melanin-rich skin, but to no avail. After being offered a skin whitening cream to her horror by a beauty salon, she decided to launch her own range of specialist products. And they're vegan, reports Africa Fashion. The new range, Saka, and that's spelled T-S-A-K-A, so the T is silent, are based on ancient beauty recipes from Mozambique handed down by her grandmother. The word Saka means happiness in the Rongan dialect of Mozambique. Isn't that lovely? Amadi travels regularly to remote areas in the Mozambique countryside to ensure that only the purest ingredients are used in her products. And she also gives 2% of the company's profits back to these local communities, enabling farmers to buy harvesting equipment and send their children to school. What an amazing young entrepreneur. She may be going to college to study business, but it sounds as if she can teach the tutors a thing or two. You can find out more about Saka on the company's Instagram at Saka Beauty. Texas may be known for its cattle industry, but crafty business owners are making inroads in spreading the vegan message. Houston is about to get its first vegan and organic ice cream store reports Houston Eater. Juice Girl's Gretchen Todd is set to open a second location of her popular health-focused juice and smoothie bar in Montrose in early October. The new ice creamery will include treats made with a nut milk base, all of which can be made into sundaes, banana splits, acai bowls and shakes, with flavours featuring the likes of cinnamon, rocky road and chocolate-covered cherry. Mmm, that sounds lovely. (laughs) Who needs dairy when you can enjoy delicious vegan alternatives like this? I'm actually very happy to see Texans embrace plant-based eating. I used to watch the TV show Dallas when I was young, and I don't think I really made the connections between JR's and Miss Ellie's cattle ranch and the reality of the industry. And I watched season one of the remake they did a couple or so years ago, and I loved how Sue Ellen had come into her own and become this strong, independent woman, which was fabulous. And I could totally see her launching a plant-based milk empire. (laughs) Maybe we should tweet the producers. You never know. 
Sales have doubled at the New York eatery Mother of Pearl since it went vegan, according to chef Daphne Cheng. Cheng made the announcement in a recent interview with Vice magazine. Mother of Pearl is one of 15 restaurants owned by entrepreneur Ravi De Rossi, who's committed to turning all of them completely plant-based with the help of Cheng. Mother of Pearl, which was previously a tiki bar, made the transition to a vegan Polynesian restaurant and cocktail bar on Valentine's Day this year, while Bourgeois Pig became Ladybird just a couple of months ago. It's fantastic to know that business is booming at Mother of Pearl, particularly because De Rossi is changing his eateries because of ethical reasons, rather than simply appealing to the health market. He's taken a risk because he's operated his restaurants on a non-vegan basis successfully for over 10 years. But after searching his conscience, he no longer wants to support cruelty. I love that he's taken this stand and that it's paying off. And I really hope that this inspires other entrepreneurs to do the same. Finally, the plant-based foods industry contributes $13.7 billion to the US economy, according to a report released this week by the newly formed trade body, the Plant-Based Foods Association. The association represents 52 of America's leading plant-based food companies, including Tofurky, Upton's Naturals and Miyoko's Kitchen. The report estimates that as well as $13.7 billion in sales, plant-based food companies pay $1.1 billion in federal and state taxes each year, which represents 20% of the industry's revenues. The report predicts that at current growth rates, the plant-based food sector will generate $13.3 billion in tax revenues over the next 10 years. The industry also creates more than 60,000 jobs that pay a total of $3.6 billion in income each year. And an added bonus is that jobs in this sector pay more. The average wage is $59,400, which is about $13,000 higher than the average US income. The report also estimates that at the current rate of growth, the plant-based food industry will add more than 2,000 jobs to the economy each year. Wow, those are some impressive figures, aren't they? So not only are plant-based foods better for your health, the environment and animals, they're also good for the economy. (laughs) It's fantastic to see the Plant-Based Foods Association making waves and coming up with these kind of analyses because this is how we get economies and societies to change. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now. 